You doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing real good. I'm back. I'm pumped. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. I was hanging out with teenagers, so you're going to have to excuse me if I smell like Axe body spray. It was like, like, it was probably by like catching it. I'm not wearing it. I don't want you to know that. By the way, Axe, Axe body spray, for any of you that don't know, it means girl repellent, okay? So you tell teenagers that, okay? Um, Psalm, we'll be in Psalm chapter one. We're going to take a little brief series in the Psalms before we go, start going verse by verse through the epistle of Jude, um, which will be a lot of fun. And we're going to do that in a couple of weeks. But until we get there, we're going to start in the Psalms. Psalm chapter one, which actually serves as an introduction to the Psalms. And I'd like to read it as we get going this morning, if that's all right with you. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. The wicked, they're not so, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows and favors the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There's something about a break-in routine that helps us get rejuvenated, that helps us get new perspective, that helps us not want to kill other people, okay? And you think about this. This is the season of summer vacation, right? And it's good. I want you to think about this. Sometimes if you... I got a high motor, okay, and I always feel like I need to be accomplishing something, all right? But I want you to know something. We are designed in such a way that we lay there like dead people a third of our entire life. You know that? We are created for rest. It's even in the very way that the Lord set up the work week, okay? It was supposed to be a day of Sabbath, a day of rest, so we need rest. We don't like to take rest. In fact, many of us have problems finding rest. Maybe we lay down and then we need an Ambien or something, okay? We may have a problem getting to sleep. We may have that thing where you get that restless leg syndrome, okay? Some of it's actually diagnosable. Some of it's just you just like to kick somebody, okay? And we have these issues with rest. And even when we go on vacation, it takes for me a while to decompress, a little time to decompress and be like, chill out. I know you're like, really? You're spastic? I can't believe it. I want you to know something. After this little time of, 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 of breaking the routine and then being in the Word of God and preaching to students, I come back with a new perspective and I come back ready and knowing that I need to reassess some things in my life. And every time, honestly, every time we come to the day of rest, we come to the Lord's day, we are, in, we are supposed to be encountered with Scripture, and that helps us gain new perspective, God perspective, and it helps us to reassess, to look at our life. And Psalm chapter 1, or the first Psalm, rather, the first Psalm in the book of Psalms is actually serves kind of as an introduction, and it has some of the themes that carry out throughout all of the Psalms, okay, right here. It's a short six verses. It was probably written as an introduction introduction to the other, 150, or other 149 psalms in the book. But this one really, it kind of talks about some of the major themes that are in the psalms throughout. For example, there's happiness, hope, and heaven for those who delight in the law of God. Second one is this, the wicked, they will have a good time on earth, but ultimately the things that they're doing are going to lead them down to emptiness and destruction. 
So the way of the wicked is, is seen as, a, as an empty way, and the way of the righteous is seen as the way of hope and life. And then thirdly, we see this. There is a huge, huge emphasis in the book of Psalms on the word of God as the, the Torah, the law of God, the teaching of God, the Bible being a, a lamp to your feet, light to my path. If you don't believe me, just go ahead and do your devotion in Psalm 119 tomorrow. There's a lot of verses. A lot, okay? And that's all about the word of God. And these, this, is a, this is a book of worship. It's a book of songs. And this inter, introductory song is meant to show us all of these things, the heights of what it means to know God, the happiness of what it means to know God. It shows us the wickedness and the emptiness of following our own ways and walking in the way of the wicked. And then, thirdly, it shows us the glory of the word of God. And I don't know about you, but everything's not right in my life, right? There's some areas that not, are not perfect. And I need constantly to be like David. And he said this. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Know what I'm thinking. And see if there's any grievous way, sinful way in me. And lead me into the way everlasting. A secular philosopher, a Greek philosopher by the name of Socrates, once said the unexamined life is not worth living. He's echoing a biblical statement, whether he realizes it or not, that we have to bring our lives before God and have a reassessment because there's probably one area of your life that's just way out of whack. And here is how this psalm does it. it there's a comparison and a contrast. Some of you who like charts, oh, you're like, yes, compare and contrast. You're speaking my love language, okay? If only we had some kind of chart, okay? I don't, all right? I'm not a chart guy, all right? You want that? Go turn on the TV. You see a preacher with a chart, okay? That's not me, all right? I want you to get this. We're going to compare and contrast two ways. The first way, and we just read it, the first way is the way of the, those who delight in the word of God, in the law of God. The second way is those who delight in wickedness and delight in going their own way. And so we're going to go pick up in this, and I want you to know, as we look at this, here's what the things, in comparing and contrasting these two lifestyles, you're going to do one thing. It's going to make you want to be like the righteous person, and it's going to make you want to flee from wickedness. That is what it's designed to do. It's supposed to show you that the way of the righteous, the way of delighting in God's word is good, and you want to run towards that, and it's meant to, as they show in these two different ways to live, you're going to want to run away from this wickedness. Have you ever read a book about somebody who did something amazing? Like you maybe read, read like Warren Buffett's book about how he became very uh, successful and you're like, I want to make a billion dollars, okay? And you ever read somebody else, like a, you know, a Christian biography and you read about a missionary going somewhere and you're like, that's right, I want to do that. Just that inspiration of this life. Well, the Psalms, they put up this righteous man and this wicked man. They put up the righteous person and the wicked person to show you that the way of wickedness leads to destruction and the way of righteousness leads to hope. And it makes you want to run towards one and not the other. There's an inspiration here. So we pick up in verse 
one. And in, in looking at this, we're going to ask, there's going to be four ways that we're going to try to reassess our lives. This is going to show us four ways. If we look at these two different characters and compare and contrast them, I want us to find four ways we need to reassess our lives. And the first way we need to reassess our life is this. We need to reassess happiness. Let me put that, let me say that again. We need to reassess happiness. Look in verse one, if you will. Blessed or blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This first word, most of you, the only time we ever use blessed is either bless your heart, okay, and you're about to say something ugly about somebody, okay, <laughs> bless their heart, and I can say anything after that, right, and then, or you get to the other eye, it's blessed, I'm feeling blessed, I'm feeling, feeling favored, I'm feeling the fact that God has given me something, but I want you to know, this word in particular, in the Hebrew here, and it will be the Greek version of that, in, that Jesus will use in the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, blessed are the poor, and all those things, I want you to know something about it, it really is better translated happy, Happy is the man, or happiness is the man who follows God's word possesses. It's actually plural. Happiness is plural here, so it's like blessednesses, okay? It doesn't make good English, but it makes good Hebrew, okay? And so I want you to get this idea that there is happy are the people who delight in God's word and run away from wickedness. Now, I know why these writers did not translate this word as happy. Because happiness in our culture is such a small, ridiculous idea. Happiness is so, it comes and goes so quickly. It's like we're all bipolar, okay? It's like we all have this thing when it comes to happiness, like we can be happy in a second and not happy in the same second. Okay, your favorite TV show comes on, awesome. The direct TV goes out, okay, because one cloud came over, okay, and you're not happy, okay? You get, you get, it's like your kid, you give them a brand new toy, they're happy. They break the toy, they're sad. Happiness is such a small, and our, our understanding of happiness is such a small, fleeting thing, but people are trying to find happiness and contentment, right? Go into a bookstore. Well, you're going to see the most of self-help books. They're going to be everywhere trying to find happiness, trying to find contentment, trying to find all these things. Well, the Bible in the very first book of the worship or very first uh, song in the very first, uh, in the ver- this book of worship that's in the Bible, the very first word, it says happy, blessed, just contented, is this man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord? People are searching for happiness, right? Well, the answer for happiness is not in anything else but knowing God through his word. That's where happiness is. And I want you to think about this. See, why we think, why is our view of happiness so small? Is because we don't have a biblical view of happiness. Because Throughout the Psalms, the psalmist is going to be happy even when he is going through the worst times ever. Now, what I am not talking about is that fake plastered on grin that we think we have to have if we're Christians and we're going to show up to church. You know what I'm talking about. The kids have been in the back. One of them attacked the other one with a weed eater. And, like, you're getting here and you're yelling at each other. And you're, like, you're having this, you've been, you've, like, stuff's not been good at the house. And you show up. You're like, hey, brother, how are you? 
How's life? That's great. And it's not. It's falling apart, okay? Happiness is not a plastered, fake, dumb grin. It's not. But it's an inward contentment that you have a relationship with God and God's got this. That you have a trust and promises outside of yourself and a God who has shown himself to be truthful time and time again. Notice we says it, it talks about this. His delight is in the law of the Lord. That's the word Torah. That's not just all of, when we say law, it's not just all the do's and the don'ts. It's actually the whole story of redemption that started in the garden and he was going to bring about these covenant promises so that we could come, that we who are sinners could come and be right with God. So when you see the law, yes, it talks about the tough things, thou shalt not, but it also talks about Jesus and God having this plan that says, I will save. So you get that? So happiness, it can't be rooted in things because things come and go. The happiness in the scripture does not, not, does not rule out us having differences in emotion, but it is the thing that stays constant is that we know God. There's a constant in the EKG of our lives, in the ups and the downs and the hills and the valleys. That is what happiness is, is there's a joy that it passes understanding. There's a peace that passes understanding. There is a happiness in knowing God so that even at a funeral or even at, at any number of tragic things, there can be a remnant of joy that is there and a remnant of happiness that is there because we know the promises and the covenant of God's law. You see, like, have, we're, you're looking for happiness in all the wrong places. And Jesus, when he goes to the, the, the Greek form of this word, blessed, in the Hebrew, is Jesus uses it in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. Now, most of you, when you hear the Sermon on the Mount, especially this part, you, you probably default to British Jesus, okay? Because I do too, because we got this white British Jesus in our mind, okay? And he looks kind of effeminate, and we don't know, I mean, he's, you've seen that he's got that like perfect beard that's curled, and he's got like the, it's kind of like a mullet, and some of those pictures that we see, and it's just bad, okay? We was, we, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine at our, the, the church we used to serve at a long time ago, um, there was this one room that was a Sunday school room that like nobody would touch, okay? I don't know why it was such a big deal, but it had shag carpeting from the 70s in there, and it was like a million different nasty colors, and we don't know if it was originally made like that or if it just became like that, and then there was this giant picture, and if you go in churches, you'll still see it. It's that British, white, curled up beard, mullet Jesus, like planograph delivered from like the 1970s to your church, and it's like a load-bearing poster, that was on this wall. And so when we hear this, blessed all the poor, we just like dismiss it as some kind of like religious high-minded idea. But Jesus was saying this. This was rooted in the language of the Psalms. And so the idea of happiness, the idea of contentment in God is something that's been in the, New Te been in the Old Testament. Now Jesus is bringing it to bear when he comes as the fulfillment of the law. And he opens his mouth and he teaches, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. Say, what? The poor in spirit, those who are not always the most jovial or the most happy? But he says, there's the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus turns everything on its ear. That what you're looking at and, and you're banking on for happiness might just be the wrong thing, and that may be why you're so miserable. Let me give you this one. I'm going to just go through these. I'm going to go through these and I'll compare and contrast what Jesus says with the way we think about happiness. Okay? Just real quick. Do it quick. 
won't cost you anything. All right, it's free. Three says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the heavens, there is the, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We say in our culture, blessed are those who are rich in spirit and happy all the time and that never have any problems. Okay, that's what we say. But the Lord says, blessed are the poor in spirit because they get the kingdom of heaven. Secondly, verse four of this Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But we say, blessed are those who never have to mourn. That's why we have invented so many drugs and things to help our moods. Now, some of those are completely fine, especially if you're prescribed under a doctor. But I want you to know something. Our country's high all the time trying to get away from reality. And it doesn't fix it. Now listen, I'm not bound. If you're if you're really struggling with something, you're on a doctor's prescription. I'm not getting on to that because we ha- we are made of body, soul, and mind here, okay? And our bodies sometimes get out of whack, and you might need that. But what I want to do say, I want you to do say, are you lo- using that thing as a crutch? And you're going to think that a pill is going to make you happy? It will not. Blessed are those who mourn. See, when you come to Christ, you can actually experience the full spectrum of emotion, but you can also know the full joy of the contentment and the steadiness of God's promises. We don't want to feel anything. I don't know about you. I want my heart to beat, and I want to feel, I want to be able to trust in the promises of God, even in the darkness and even in the light. So, blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. And then it says this Blessed are the meek, those who, have, those who have with strange strength, they will inherit the earth. No, we, are, we say, Blessed are those, and if you don't believe me, go watch reality TV shows. Blessed are those who get theirs. I will tell you, I am not going to do that. I'll cut you, okay? Not meekness. Not with strained strength. That's not what we like. It's not the same. Then it goes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Our culture says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for stuff and for sex and for anything that will make you feel good in the moment. But what, is the, what does Jesus say? Happy people are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know why? Because money, sex, cars, clothes, everything will fade away. And the contentment you have in God won't. Going on again, just to see happiness are the merciful. No, what we say in our culture is happy are those who tell it like it is. That's ridiculous. Have you ever heard this? Well, I'm a jerk, but that is just the way I am. Do you not need redemption? Are you not screwed up? You are, obviously, because you're telling people, I'm mad and I just accept it. What if everybody did that? What if everybody did what you did? Walmart would be a war zone. They would stab each other with brooms, shanking each other with soap. I mean, that would be bad. I'm just telling you, we don't want to be merciful. We don't have any mercy. And then it goes, blessed are the pure in heart. No, now our culture is blessed are the pornified. For there, they, the, the pure in heart will see God. Then it says, then it goes on, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is about to hurt, okay? But we are now saying throughout the world, blessed are those who tell me they could keep me safe. And Jesus' followers are blessed, are happy when they are persecuted. You know why? Because it says this, and I missed one, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When they're persecuted for Jesus' sake, it, theirs, they belong to the kingdom of heaven. Verse 9 says, this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. No, we don't like peace. We like drama. 
Do you see something here? Are you catching this drift? The happiness that's found in God's word is not the happiness and the values of our society or our culture. They never have been. They never will be. And so if you want to find happiness, it's not in some, some schmuck with a big smile who's going to tell you how to get rich. Your happiness is going to be, have to be rooted in the, in, in the delighting in God's word. So you need to reassess your happiness and where you're looking for it at. If you're miserable right now, I'll tell you to go home. I want you to reassess your happiness based on the Sermon on the Mount and the blessedness that Jesus talked about. I want you to reassess your, your happiness based on who you are following. That's the second thing in verses 1 and 2. The second reassessment we need to look at is not just we don't just need to reassess happy. We need to reassess our influences and how, they make our, how we make our life decisions. Let me say that again. We need to reassess, look at our influences and how we make our life decisions. Look with me in verse 1. It says, happy is this man. And in verse 2, says the one, it, it says that they're happy because he delights in the law of the Lord, but also says the happy person, the righteous person, does not keep counsel with the wicked. Look at this. I want you to know, verse 1, it says, who walks not, and if you have your own Bible here, or you got an app, go ahead and underline walks. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands, go ahead and underline stands, in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So the blessed man not only delights in the Lord, but he also does not, not walk, stand, or sit in the counsel of the wicked. I want you to walk through this with me. There's a progression that happens here. And I want to give you to understand this, because first off, the guy's walking, kind of by sin and the sinful, and then the next thing you know, he's kind of standing and loitering, and before you know, he's joined the party and he's sitting down. I want to tell you, I, I, in, uh, in several, several years ago, I was in the Atlanta airport, and there's a Hall of Fame or future Hall of Fame tight end that was playing for them by the name of, uh, NFL tight end by the name of Tony Gonzalez. He's a gigantic man. I saw him in the Atlanta airport and he was heading somewhere. So here's what I did. I knew I shouldn't approach him because he did not look like he wanted to be approached. He was sitting on the ground, kind of like covered up a little bit, and he had a stroller in front of him, but the guy's a mountain, so you could like see him. And I've been watching a lot of NFL, and so and the Falcons were good. That was several, you could tell that was several years ago, okay? And so I was walking by him, and so the first time I was like, "That's Tony Gonzalez. That's Tony Gonzalez." I wasn't doing that, but like in my brain I was. And the next time, so I made an excuse. I need to go back to the bathroom. <laughs> I got walked by a homeboy like four or five times, and every time I was like, "Don't go up to him. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy." The next thing you know. I'm kind of standing over in the corner, like looking like, like assessing the situation, like is his wife gonna go to the bathroom so I can kind of sneak in there? Cause like there was like a perimeter around him, you know, of like stuff and like family members. I'm like, if she moves, I can make my move. And before you know it, she did get up and I walked over and I'm like, this is, so, this is like, this is so stupid what I did. Mr. Gonzalez, oh, why? You play football, <laughs> okay? I mean, it was, just the most awkward, uncomfortable thing. Like, I wanted to meet you. You are good at catching passes. Okay. And I knew I should not have done it, but what happened? There was this progressive nature of I was around it, and I was looking at it. It was enticing, and then I got close to it, and I was like, well, I mean, I'm on this far. I've been stalking the guy for a while. And then I went and did it. There's a progression here of, of we see walking, standing, sitting. And it's the idea of this, that there is, a there is a progression of conformity to the world and to its ideals. 
that we see that this man is rejecting. The righteous man rejects, and sadly, this is something that we have problems with. And it's this. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. So there's a walking, but it basically means he's accepting their advice. It starts out as accepting the advice. It starts out as accepting what seems to be worldly wisdom about sexuality, about uh, what is right and wrong, about the goal and purpose and orientation of your life. You start to go, well, you know, they got a point. You're, you're, divorcing, it, you're divorcing it from Scripture, and you're just saying, you're just wanting to, it's probably you want to fit in, you're with that group. And the next thing is this, nor stands in the way of sinners. So we've gone from walking to standing. Now you're kind of loitering. And here's the next part of the progression. And it says, nor stands in the way of sinners. So now you just, you went from being in their counsel, accepting their advice to the place now where you are being part of its ways. For you know, you say, well, if this is okay, and then this is okay, and there is a, there's a natural slide that happens with sin. If you don't believe me, go read Romans 1. God continually gives you over to your sinful desires. It's the worst case scenario is you left to your own devices. And so we get to the third part of this verse, and it says this, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The Bible, especially the book of Proverbs, talks about scoffing in a, in a big-time way. In fact, this is seen as the most fatal. Remember, we went from walking to kind of standing around, so now he's sitting at the table with the wicked, okay? And this is not to say, not to be disassociated. Now, this is not a call to disassociate with wicked people, because think about Jesus. He hung out with the least and the last and the lost. What this is is saying, do not wrap your life around and be influenced by wickedness and worldliness. There is a way to love people in their sin and not be influenced by their wickedness. And the only way that can truly happen is if your delight is in the law of the Lord and you are mindful of the fact that, that sin is dangerous and that you can progressively get into it. And here's the final thing. He sit, now he's sitting in the seat of the scoffers, which means this. He has fully imbibed their teaching. He's part of the crowd. And now he is scoffing, mocking the word of God. In evangelical circles, this is becoming, as the culture is turning radically against um, a biblical view of sexuality and a biblical view of religious liberty. What we see is many evangelicals are turning and they are deciding that they would rather be liked by the culture than honest with the Bible. I want you to tell something. That is not a happy way. Sin is an awful thing. It doesn't just send you to hell, but it makes your life empty and worthless, and light. And we're going to see that in just a second. I want you to know something. The, the, man, the man who is happy is not the one who lets everything go. The man who is happy is who holds on to the word of God, and whatever God says is right, and whatever God says is wrong is wrong. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't do this to find out what their opinion is. They go to the word. By this, I mean they're not trying to find where the cultural winds are. Huh. All right, it's blowing this way. I'm going to go over here. Oh, oh, no, no, people don't like that anymore. I'm going to go over here. That is not how the man of God, that's not how the happy person of God lives. The happy person of God has a resolute trust and a, look in verse 2, a delight in the law of God. So here is why I say reassess your influences. The man of God, the godly person, the woman of God, they find, they don't, they don't keep their, their, 
They don't take, they're not influenced by, and they don't make their life decisions based on the culture and the wickedness of it. They base their life decisions on the things that they delight in. And what do they delight in? Verse 2 says, they delight in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. There's some really cool pictures here. First off, I mentioned law before. The law, if, to delight in the law of the Lord is grace. Let me just say that again. To delight in the law of the Lord is grace. You want to know why? Because the law of the Lord continually, if you're not, not just the promises, but if you start going to the thou shalt nots, before long, you're going to be like, oh, I'm in trouble. Especially when Jesus kind of shows the, that it doesn't matter, just external. External adherence to the law matters, but if you, you know, I've never committed adultery, but Jesus says, oh, you've heard it say don't commit adultery, but I said if you looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Oh, and he goes down that line, and he goes, it talks about hate, and he talks about if you said your brother's a fool, then you're guilty of murder, and you're like, ha, 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 ha. See, the only way you can delight in the law of God is if you've been redeemed, because the law of God is terrifying, because you are guilty big time, apart from the good news of grace. So I want you to know, this is not like, do good and love the Bible, and you'll be good and happy. And don't do wicked stuff, and then they'll be good and happy. No, this is delight in God, and this delight has to come from a source outside of you because left to our own devices, the Bible scares the bejesus out of us, okay? It does. It points us to sin. It really does. And so this blessedness, this delight has to come from an external source. It has to be all of grace and faith in God and his promises. So he delights in the law of the Lord. And then, it, and then it says this, and on his law, he meditates day and night. Immediately you went like straight kung fu movie on me when I said the word meditate. Home, home. That is not biblical idea of meditation. The biblical idea of meditation is continually keeping your brain engaged on the things of God. In fact, this word meditate, this particular word for meditate, that's translated meditate here, means to mutter. We went to this place in Dothan that my family likes to eat called Conestoga Steakhouse. They only have beef. It's a glorious thing. It's delicious. And they were running the sale were for the, almost the same price as an 8-ounce ribeye, you could get a 12-ounce ribeye. So I said, I will have the 12-ounce ribeye, and so will my wife. And she's like, what? I said, no, because you're going to eat 8 ounces, and I'm going to eat the rest of it, okay? When you get this steak, I know none of you have ever done that, okay? You know, I know you're better than me. So this steak shows up, and I'm cutting into it, and all of us, it's like, it's hard to, to make us be quiet. And then food gets there, and it's just like, we're not quiet, but we're going, oh, yeah, that's the ticket. This is so good. I mean, I mean, people come from, like, surrounding areas to eat at this place. It's a big-time steakhouse, right? So I want you to know something. This idea of muttering has the idea, or the idea of meditate has the idea of muttering, talking to oneself, continually thinking about that thing that has been such a delight for you, just like we were talking or muttering about the steak, oh, that's good, that's good. The, the person who is, who delights in the law of God, the happy person, keeps the word of God forefront and delights in it. And I'll give you some ideas about how that works. My grandmother, who's now suffering from Alzheimer's and is having some very severe brain issues, before she had gotten to this place where she really can't, she never had much of an education, probably a fourth grade education, fifth, sixth, I don't know, it wasn't very high, didn't finish high school, I know. She, her, 
her spelling and her and her grammar was not the best, but she would continually write down Bible verses and put them all over her house with sticky notes. And they were poor English and sometimes misspelled, but it made an impact on me. To see my grandmother, who was not overly educated, reading her Bible and her Sunday school lesson, up until recently, she can't do that anymore, but she had these sticky notes everywhere. And she found a way to meditate on the law of God. And she found a way to put it before her all the time. I've known some other people who've taped index cards to their arm. I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying I've seen, known people who, they got serious about the word of God when I was in college and, and, I, and, and you know, just struggling with the, thing, this, the change and all that kind of stuff and being all alone in my first time. I printed up a ton of scripture and put it on the wall in my room all the time just so it would be there. That's not ways, it's not necessarily a command, but I want you to know something, that there is a delight. When you see the law of God as something good, you put it in front of you all the time because that is how you, don't, that's how you keep from walking in the way of the wicked. And the law of God, the truth of God, the scripture provides a happiness and a joy that is inexpressible. And I want to go back to my man Mitch over here. If you don't mind me mentioning this, Mitch, we, went, we had a worship service at camp uh, when we took all of our students from, from Journey to camp uh, when we were in Ridgecrest. And we had this night where several students professed faith. And we, it was just, it was evident it was a, a work of the Spirit. And at the end of this time, and there was kids everywhere going out and talking, and we had two of our students profess faith in Christ. And so just, we were just, the Lord was just working in this time. And we just kept, the band kept playing and worshiping. And we were in that, we, we were with teenagers, about 900 teenagers, okay, in this room worshiping for about two and a half hours. And they were just totally, we were into it, man. And we got done, and we went up to the snack bar, because that's what you do, you, like, you run around at youth camp, you, you know, there's flatulence, it's bad, okay, that happens, but then you go and worship forever, and then you go eat snacks, so that's just how it happens, it's awesome, okay, and so then after that, we were drinking cheer wine, okay, which is like a Dr. Pepper with cherry in it, okay, and so we're drinking these with all the students, just thinking, and Mitch just looks over me, he says, it does not get any better than that. It doesn't. There is, there, I, I'm talking about a joy and a happiness that maybe some of you have never experienced because you do not know and do not delight in God. And I pray that you would. And I'm just hoping you see there's a delight in God that far surpasses the, the delights of the world. The delights of the world are empty, but the delights that are in God are immense and immeasurable. And it begins in his word. And it keeps us away from the worldliness. And then verses 3 and 4, here's a, here's a third way of reassessment. The thir- verses 3 and 4 take us to this. We need to reassess our idea of prosperity and success. Reassess our idea of prosperity and success. And this is good to talk about in election years. In verse 3 and 4 it says this, He is like a tree. Talking about the blessed man, the man who has happiness in God, the man who does not walk in the way of sinners, but the man who walks in, delights in, and meditates on the law of God. Verse 3, it says this, he is like a tree. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. Remember, they're in an arid climate, in a desert-type climate. So it's kind of a la Looney Tunes. They see the mirage. There's desert everywhere. There's some water, and what happens? Greenery is around it. That's kind of life in the desert. 
And so it has this image that the person who trusts and is happy in God and delights in his word is like a tree planted by streams of water. What does that mean? It has everything it needs to thrive. Secondly, it says this, that, that this tree yields fruit in its seasons, which means two things. A tree that is to produce fruit, when it does produce fruit, that means it's healthy. If you were to plant a fruit tree or a, a, some type of you know, vine or something to produce fruit and it didn't produce that fruit, you would say, obviously something's wrong with that. So here's the idea that this, this tree, that, that the, the righteous person is like this. They're nourished. They are by the source of life. And really, it's the word of God. And then it's the idea that it yields fruit. It, it is fruitful and it's healthy. True health, true spiritual health comes through the word of God. And then we see this in verse 3, and its leaf does not wither. This is like, a, it's like an evergreen. The tree is of, has such a, a firm bank and a firm foundation, such a nourishing climate, and such, um, and such health because where it's been planted, its leaf does not wither. It means it lasts. So there's eternal nature to those who are, who are in delight in God's word, there's an eternal life for them. And then it says this, and all he does, he prospers. Now, some people hear that word and dollar signs roll in their eyes. And I want you to tell, I want you to just, just there's a whole group of people out there that teach a prosperity gospel. That means this, if you follow God, he will make sure you are healthy physically and rich financially. And everything in your life is going to work out fine. And if it's not, it's because you do not have enough faith. And so coming to God is essentially like coming to a genie. And you do all the right things, and I will grant your wishes. And he just throws all of these prosperity blessings upon you. There's a lot of problems with it, but number one is this, that Jesus was poor, and he died on a cross. He is rich. He left the riches of heaven to come. Secondly, look at all of his disciples. Not a single one of them was rich. Almost all of them were killed. They're not living their best life now. Their best life was in the future. Okay? I want you to get this. The idea of prosperity that, that, the, that the church in the West is putting out and trying to export places is not the prosperity that's talked about in the word of God. In fact, money and the love of it is the root of all sorts of evil, and, it, and money and the love for money keeps people from coming after Christ and, le and keeps people from being disciples. Look in the New Testament, the rich young ruler. Why would, Jesus said, sell everything that you have if you want to follow me. And he couldn't do it. Why? Because he had great possessions and he loved those things. Financial prosperity is a gift from God. But it's not a one for if it's not doesn't mean if you're obedient you'll get it okay there's not a one for one correlation. Secondly, money can be dangerous. It can become your love. So the true prosperity, if you see biblical prosperity, is more it's more like this. You walk in the ways of God. You love people, and your life matters in the sense that you serve others. That's, you can see that in Jesus' life. You can see that in the apostles' lives. That is prosperity. But some of us are thinking that we need the money. 
when the lottery's going to because some of us will not buy a lottery ticket until it gets to like like and I'm not saying you should buy a lottery ticket. Let's be clear about that, okay? But some of us won't buy it until it's like 250 billion dollars or something like that or million dollars. Like that's when I'll buy a ticket because that I wouldn't want the 30 million because the government will get half of it. But if you give me 250 million, I'll buy a ticket. What's up with that, okay? Because <laughs> I got 25 in the bank, okay? Why? Why? We, and then have you, you've inevitably had that conversation. If we won, what will we do with it? There are several shows that have been out there. You go watch them about people who won the lottery, and then their lives just completely fall apart. How many people, when they get their dream job, and they get all the finances in the world, are still not content? You need to reassess how you view prosperity and success because look at the look in verse four the wicked are not so they're like chaff that the wind drives away now we don't do a lot of wheat okay and this i don't i'm not very agricultural so the idea of, of wheat is you get the head of the wheat and you do this and you break off all of the the lighter pieces the shaft the stuff that you wouldn't eat and what they would do a lot of times they would winnow this stuff they would throw they would throw the kernels in the air, and all of the debris would fly off. The chaff would fly off, and you'd be left with the substantive pieces of wheat. Now, most of us don't have any kind of uh, framework for that, so I want, you to, I want to give you Spanish peanuts as an example, okay? You know what I'm talking about? How many of you have eaten peanuts before? I don't know why the Spanish peanut exists, because I don't know why you wouldn't take that, out, that husk off of it, because inevitably you're going to have it right here at your teeth, right? You go to, like, Logan's or one of those places you're eating peanuts, and inevitably all of you guys look like you've had some, like you've had some really bad dental problems, okay? <laughs> What's wrong? So I, I want you to get this idea. When you got, you got the Spanish peanut with the skin on them, you would rub your hands like this, and if you were to throw those peanuts in the air, what would fly off? The light, weightless piece of skin, the useless pieces of skin fly off, and then the nut would fall and remain. And so here is the idea. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff. The wind drives away. It's in contrast to the established, nourished, ever-living because of God and the prosperous person who loves God. And that is contrasted with this person who is lightweight and will just vanish. I want to give you an example of that, of somebody who, see, this is a countercultural thing because it's usually the hedonist is the one, the one who seeks pleasure, the one who has all the money. That's the person you want to be. That's the happy person. We've all said it. If I only had this, I would be happy. If I had enough money where I didn't have to worry about my bills, I would be happy. Well, people who'd have that, they're still not happy. Let me give you a prime example of somebody whose life is, it fits our cultural idea of what it means to be prosperous, but whose life is a, sh is a shell, and it is empty, and it is tragically sad. And I'm not going to hate on this person because I, I really, my heart breaks for him, but his name is Hugh Hefner. And many of you know who he is. He was the founder of Playboy magazine, and at a time, he, he was rich, and he had ladies, and he was the epitome of, quote-unquote, what they thought every red-blooded red American man wanted to be. He had the ladies. He had the money. He had the house. He had the parties. He had the respect. Now, he's sad. Now, I don't know his mental state, but looking at his life, it's pretty sad. He keeps bringing women in his house that just basically 
take his money and are there as he's their sugar daddy and he takes and he and he has all these women come and go no real love he has no real family he lives in this big house and i think he's actually trying to sell it now his magazine's gone bust and he's an old sad man and he's become a punchline to jokes and he's kind of pathetic now i'm not saying that to hate him but i'm saying that's a tragedy because he's made in the image of god he was meant for so much more but he f- chased after the quote-unquote american dream he chased after what the culture thought he had it all he had the wealth he had the money he had the ladies he had it all and it's all huss it's all empty and i want you to know something some of us will get that facebook social media envy when we look and people put their best life on the face on facebook and it depresses us i want you to know first off stop the comparison and start running to the Word because the Word of God and, and living in Him and living in what, he, in what He desires and living in His ways and following and trusting in all of His promises and trusting in His peace, it makes us established, rooted people that have a life now and a life later and we will prosper. Maybe not the way that the world wants us to prosper. I want you to know something. We will be content in whatever circumstances because we will have a a foundation firmer than any money because money comes and goes. Fame comes and goes. If you're liked, the next day you'll be thrown away. I want you to see this really clearly. I want to see this. You need to reassess how you view prosperity and success. Finally, I want you to reassess your destination. In verses 5 and 6, it says this, therefore, kind of the culmination of all these verses, therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment. They can't stand before, wicked people cannot stand before a holy God. Then it says this, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteousness. If you are wicked and you are in sin, you have no place in God and you have no place in a group of righteous people. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. means he favors he knows the way of the wicked, too, because they're going to, be going to go down to destruction. But he knows and favors the way of the righteous. And it says, by the way of the wicked will perish. Now, I want you to know something. That sounds, that's really heavy. The person who delights in God, they have a foundation forever. They have a home forever. Their leaf never withers. They are a plant that is secure no matter what comes, no matter if it's, no matter if it's physical wealth they get, or if it's tough times, they are rooted and they will prosper because they're in God. But on the other hand, those who are wicked and and follow their own counsel and follow their own heart and follow after sin, they will perish eternally, but also all their life now will be empty, husks and ashes and not really matter. And this is harsh, and and it should be harsh, because it's meant to show you how ugly sin is but i want you to know something when the bible especially in this situation showing the wickedness and the lot and the outcome of a sinful life is an invitation to those who hear to embrace the law of the lord this is an invitation i know it sounds like that's a rough invitation If you continue in your way, you're going to perish. 
If you continue in your wickedness, and if you continue going your own way, if you continue in delighting in what the world delights in, if you continue to do this, you will perish, and you will go down to death, and you will be in destruction and hell. But if you come, and this is what it is, this is an invitation in showing how stark and ugly life without God is. There's an invitation to come and embrace the law of God and embrace the grace that is in him, and there's a turning. How many of you heard this when you invite people to come to church in this town? I said, I don't want to step in there. You don't want me to step in there because that building might fall in on me. Let me tell you, there's a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 13. I got to tell a bunch of students this this week. Luke chapter 13. They're talking about all these current events. They bring it up to Jesus and say, Jesus, did you, hear about, did you hear about those people who were killed while they were in the temple worshiping? And what, you know what they were expecting? Kind of like, you ever been in a, in a conversation with somebody at the checkout line? And like the National Enquirer's there and some other things, you know, like, Bat Boy, you know, you know, helping the president. I mean, something weird on there, like, the world will come to an end and da-da-da. And immediately that just kind of sparks a conversation in which the person starts talking about how bad the, bad the world is. I was watching CNN the other day, and man, I'll tell you what, fruit bats are going to invade the country. And you're like, oh, crazy person, all right? It's just, it becomes fatigued because everybody's watching the news and it's like, the world is ending, okay? It will end, okay? But it's on his timetable. But you, you've, ever been, you've been in that conversation? And that, so that's what they're doing. They're baiting Jesus. And they want him to be like, oh, yeah, I heard the world's so bad. And they, want to, they really want to pat on the back. They want a gold star. Like, but you're good because that didn't happen to you. But Jesus says, do you think that they were worse sinners because they were killed than you? Uh, 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 uh. And he says, no, unless you repent, you will perish too. I didn't want that answer. Okay, and then he brings up another thing. Hey, you remember that tower that fell on a bunch of people? This is Luke 13. Go check it out, one through five. You remember that tower that fell on a bunch of people and killed them? 18 people died in that tower, that horrible accident? Do you think they were worse sinners than you? No, unless you repent, you're going to perish. In talking about judgment, there is an invitation to repentance. That is so amazing that while you have breath in your lungs and you can hear the word of God and you can hear the judgment that is due you, you can also hear the grace that is available. And there is happiness available. It's far deeper and far more complex than the happiness we have. There's a prosperity available, and it's not financial prosperity. It's a spiritual prosperity, and there's nothing greater in this world. And I say it once, and I'll say it a million times because it's true. There's nothing greater than knowing God. That's why you were created. You were created to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so I ask us just to do what is ever necessary for you to start reassessing your life. Maybe that for you is turn off the news for a while because all it does is angry up your blood. Turn off the talk radio. Maybe, maybe that for you is turn off the sports. Maybe it's whatever it is. Maybe you just turn off, you're listening to voices that you don't need to be listening to right now. And you need to do some reassessment because I want you to know something. There is a better way forward. And it is walking in the truth of Christ and delighting in the law of the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day 
tonight. Let's pray. God, you're good. There's room for rejoicing, and, and God, there's room for joy. And God, I pray that if there are those who realize that they are in need of a Savior, God, that they would repent at this time when they see, they see the destination of the wicked. And God, they know there's a door open to come to Christ. So Lord, I pray that they would, and I pray all of us would reassess our ideas of happy, our idea of how we are influenced to make our decisions. God, I pray that we reassess what prosperity and success is, and I pray that we would assess, reassess our destination and make sure we're headed to the right one. God, give us, search us and try us and know our hearts, know my thoughts, and see if there's any grievous way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.